back to the Revelation On Demand podcast, a podcast interested in what the Bible has to say about our lives today. Join us as we see what revelations we find today. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers. I'm joined today, as usual, by Mr. Chris Hess. How you doing, buddy? Hey, all things considered, we're doing all right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, plenty of trials in, in life, and God has just been taking me through it one step at a time and has been making me all the much stronger through it. So I appreciate you asking. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you could make it to our recording today. I know you're having some struggles in your life right now, but you, you're more than welcome to come here and hang out with me. So thanks for coming. Yeah. So update on how I'm doing over here with the newborn. She's uh, gaining weight. Well, she's not sleeping too well. Uh, she seems to be sleeping well enough for her, but not for me and mom. We're, we're kind of wishing that she would sleep more, <laughs> but so is the life of a newborn. You don't get a whole lot of sleep that first few months. So I'll make it through it. God, God willing. <laughs> I, was, I made it through it three times. We'll do it one more time. And then so what's going on in the world world. Uh, there's Olympics going on now. In fact, I think at the time of this recording, we just missed the Olympic opening ceremony. Right. And according to what I was just reading up on by today was the Olympics were actually met with masked protesters. Now, um, I'm not a hundred percent on why exactly or what their message was from the, uh, from the opposition. Though, uh, in any event, if it has to do with uh, transmission and all that stuff, why would you be in a public gathering like that? That might just be me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it seems to be protests are just part of the way the world works now. You do any big event, you're going to collect enough protesters, you know? Uh, you make one person mad, though. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> Well, we haven't made anyone mad yet, or at least no one that would uh, protest us. So, I, I don't even know if we're making people happy. <laughs> our, our our regular listeners are just quiet. So, I, I know you're listening. The downloads show that you're listening, but there's not a whole lot of feedback. <laughs> so, we'll just keep doing what we've been doing. And on yeah, that, they're, we, they're uh, silently applauding us and being like, yeah. "You know what? These guys got it. Enough said." Yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna take no no news as good news on that front. You know, I can see that our numbers are grazing and people are listening, so we'll keep we'll keep on a trucking with this. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so last episode we went into Jeremiah twenty nine to give us kind of an intro to this new series that we're about to start, Daniel one. So Let's recap what exactly we went over last episode. Yes, sir. So we did that so we could understand a little bit better about the culture and the time and what was going on in Jerusalem when Daniel was about to be taken to Babylon. So, And we kind of understand a little bit of what the people who are already in Babylon before uh, before Daniel gets there, excuse me, I almost said Jeremiah, but what the people before Daniel gets there are like in Babylon already. So uh, the Jews that were taken to Babylon, what? 
Oh, I was going to just bring up the fact that, yeah. So he was being taken to Babylon amongst, um, in Jerusalem. Okay, so it was like the people of, if I remember this correctly, like you were just saying, um, so the people of the surrounding nations to Israel, or what we know as modern day Israel, uh, were being pretty much um, taken from their homesteads and being brought to Babylon. Right, yeah. and they were yeah. going to be used as slaves, and you know, by whatever inhumane means possible. Yeah, for the yeah, betterment of much. this utopia, this ancient utopia known as Babylon. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Daniel. I mean, you, we mentioned it last episode. We were pretty sure that he's one of the sons of David, or uh, yeah, I think it was David. Uh, double check that later. Um, Anyways, him and the people who he's with, the the specific slaves that he was taken with, are part of the higher class from Jerusalem. So they're not just getting taken over to Babylon to become your typical slave workforce. They are going to become leaders who are to help assimilate the Jews into the Babylonian culture. So... These these group of Jews are elite in Jerusalem already, and they were taken to be groomed and turned into courtsmen for Babylon so that the Jews who are now slaves in Babylon would feel like they have some input into society. So we'll join the story there in this episode with Daniel chapter 1. And we also right, heard... Society, whether or not they wanted to associate with... Yeah. Yeah. And then we also heard that there was prophets that are already in Babylon who are talking about how this will be a short exile and we will be going back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah corrected that in the chapter that we read where he's saying, no, you guys need to get ready for a long one. This is going to be at least a generation of you there. You're going to be there for at least a generation's time, which is, you know, 70 to 80 years, depending on how, what they mean by a generation. So he Jeremiah was telling everyone settle in, get ready to work, you know, serve them as you would the Lord, sort of thing. Oh, excuse me, shouldn't do that on Mike. <laughs> the Lord does call us to serve those around us as we would ourselves, and yeah. we do find culturally and um, adapt ad- adaptably in this. In, in, throughout the Bible, I would actually argue that um, they instruct and they advise certain precautions or certain ways of life of how to deal with serving a master, uh, uh-huh. a man, right? Yeah. So yeah. this isn't a foreign concept to anywhere else that you can find, especially in this section Yeah, where we're yeah. going to be talking about the concept of so to speak, um, the uh, someone basically being a higher up for no other physical reason than uh-huh. the way that they were born or where they're at, than someone equally as deserving or who is being subjected by them. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing that we need to remember whenever we're talking about slavery at this time and uh, just, you know, to reality check everything, this isn't the ancient slavery isn't the slavery that we all learn about in school from the American 
like the starting American period, the Atlantic slave trade time, those slaves were treated as absolute property. There was no payment. There was no, they were not taken absolutely the best care of. They were packed into ships and treated miserably like cargo instead of humans. The slavery at the time when Daniel's being put into slavery and the ancient slavery that's going on at this time, it wasn't about one race against another. It wasn't, you know, you couldn't tell a slave by just the color of their skin. Like that's not the slavery that's going on at this time. The slavery that's going on at this time is one people taking over another people. And those people are losing their citizenship. And then, then they become property or a servant to someone else from the empire who has citizenship. Correct, which is again another something that's just place and time where were you born. What this isn't necessarily a, a strict matter of. Uh, I use the term inhumane as severe as we automatically associate with slaves. More often than not, yeah. nowadays um, to amend for the selective word choice that the Bible has brought forth with. Um, with the loose term that was translated to servant or slave, we uh-huh. more often will use actually servant because it is to, for a lack of a better way of saying it, it, it is to work under someone more yeah. so than be held against their will. Now, don't get us wrong here in Babylon, you know, these Jerusalem was invaded. So yeah. uh, as we were just discussing so, you know, they their territory had been occupied and they had no choice mm-hmm. in the matter. So, yeah, we, you could call that, you know, forced servitude. Yes, yes. And in, in, now, if you read Deuteronomy, you'll see that if you take a slave every seven years, the Jews are, are supposed to set those slaves free and let them, you know, go be freemen again. So that is different than your typical slavery often in this ancient times, when you become a slave, there was very little chance you were not going to be a slave the rest of your life. So the Jews were the ones who were into letting slaves go every seven years. And then you have some of the weird rituals where if a slave is freed on that seventh year and they come back and say, I want to continue being your servant, then you're supposed to like pierce their ear with a, with a gold ring or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but so the Jews were different than the rest of the world. Yeah. The the Jews were different than the rest of the world as there was a a process for how to free the slaves in most cultures at this time. It was once you were taken a slave, unless for some reason your country comes back and, and like freeze it's people from the country you're being enslaved to. You're probably going to die a slave at that point. Better a slave than being dead or just left to the rubble and decay that was usually left after a war. Because as a slave, you were, you were entitled to some meager pay and at least some rations and a place to live. Because often the, the people who had slaves had slave quarters, and so there's, there's housing and stuff like that. It was actually an ingenious way... We wouldn't think of it 
as a great way, but it was an ingenious way at the time to have a sort a sort of welfare where they don't have these mass transportation and mass treatment centers and stuff like that. We, they don't have these government centers that can, you know, shell out money to help people. They instead have these people were taken over. So instead of letting them fall through the cracks, you know, because their entire lives was uprooted and destroyed, basically, they can become a slave and at least they they get to live, you know. So Yeah. And just stay insistent with that um, so it's not taken out of context. We are absolutely 100% referring to Jerusalem and Babylon in ancient times. Yeah, yeah. no, and yeah. not all slavery. Like, there's definitely a difference between ancient slavery and the slavery that happened during the, the forming period of America. Like, those Let are two very different times. slaveries. Yeah, yeah I mean, and the modern-day slavery is also contrast. quite different. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. So, well, I mean, it's all Which, unfortunate to a certain degree to us. No, it is. We're also trying to present it in a way that it's uh, more understandable for you guys to perceive that, mm. okay, you know, Daniel is in this particular situation, which, which we'll be covering throughout the course of Daniel. Yeah. And speaking of that, yeah. he was brought over to Babylon when he was in his mid-teens at the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, so he's like, some scholars, you know, there's always debate on what how old he is. I've heard anywhere from 14 to 16. So, you know, in, again, in ancient cultures, this is being considered a man. So he's often referred to as a young man. Uh, so we see he is, but in our today's culture, you know, 14, 16, that's still, you know, under your father's household or, you know, that's not quite a man in our today's culture. So... Correct. It's just something to keep in mind that this is this is a teenager being taken to uh, what we we gave an example like be like a teenager from America getting taken to China to be trained to become a leader to American slaves in China, which you know we said that jokingly at the time when we were teaching the youth, and now I'm starting to wonder if it's not going to be so true. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, other than specific association <laughs> and uh, lack of a good example, why don't we go ahead and get started on the reading? Yes, Daniel 1. Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So, right. He took articles, put them in his deity's treasure house. In case I didn't yeah. read that properly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal army and the nobility. Young that men without of, his, of the royal, from the royal family and the nobility. There you go. There we go. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. 
The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. All right, and we'll take a break there, and we'll talk about what's going on. So right back at the beginning, uh, it talks about the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. The Babylonian texts that we have that talk about the sieges of Jerusalem don't say that Jehoiakim was king of Judah during the siege, this specific siege. So there's a little bit of dispute on when this happened. And since we don't have the text that Daniel was referencing when he was writing this, we can't fully, you know, account for why there's that discrepancy. So you may see some people come at the scripture like that and say, Oh, but that's not the year that Babylon, you know, invaded. But you got to remember that this was a prolonged drawn out war. Babylon is sieging Jerusalem for better part of a decade, you know, and it just ends sometime after Daniel comes to Babylon when the temple is destroyed. Now, I didn't mention this, but there's the articles that are taken from the temple. This is the stuff that you read about in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the stuff that's from the, um, oh, what's that tent called? Wow, the tabernacle. There we go. Um, so this is like the the offering plate and the the uh, the the. Why can't I think of it? Man, my brain is just not working today. So you talk um, about direct texts. I have a question for you. You talk about these direct yeah. texts that he's referencing. Are those, mm-hmm. in fact, the articles that were brought originally from the temple of God over to this unique uh, deities to? Um, now, I, I I don't know if um, Nebuchadnezzar was terribly interested in the holy books, so I don't know if he also took scripture with uh, the stuff he raided from the temple. I definitely know he was after the articles of gold. So if you read Leviticus in, in Deuteronomy where it talks about the tabernacle and all the stuff that's put together, there is a lot of it that's made out of precious metals and stones oh, and stuff. So this okay. is this is like glittering stuff. So even to a heathen, this stuff looks like treasure. So to the Jews, it was sacred objects that were used in their temple worship. To Nebuchadnezzar, this is just the spoils of war. This is, you know, great wealth. Like they they were made out of gold and in 
you know, hammered gemstones and, and fine linen. Like it was posh stuff at the time. And of course the Jews used all that stuff because they wanted to give the best to God, you know? So right. now Nebuchadnezzar, we'll see this later on in a different story. When we talk about these articles again, Nebuchadnezzar is taking them to his deity's temple in the hopes that he can convince the Jews to, you know, assimilate into Babylon. He's saying, I'm bringing the stuff from your deity to my deity. And this was a very common assimilation tactic. You'll see this in Rome a lot where when they take over a culture, they bring their culture into, you know, the greater culture to try and assimilate them. But Nebuchadnezzar, like, the Greeks, obviously, that's where yeah, they drew a yeah. lot of their inspiration from. But you the can Greeks argue, and the Romans, uh, like yeah, Anglia yeah. or England, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. As far as their reach extended, I mean, you're yeah. talking about a big empire. Yeah, especially Britain. I mean, look how many things influence its culture. Like they brought in all sorts of stuff from around the world. So Nebuchadnezzar did have the reverence for these objects that he wasn't just going to melt them down and turn them into to gold. He's seen them as more powerful as the objects they are. So we'll see another king later on in Daniel that disrespects that. And we'll get into that later. Anyways, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is this king that we see God use in, in various ways and he also kind of has this waffling fear of God where sometimes he's like, Daniel, your God is great. And then other times he's like, well, I'm not listening to your God. And he ends up paying the price for it. So we'll see Nebuchadnezzar as this. Yeah. We'll we'll see Nebuchadnezzar as this, this kind of waffling. Sometimes he believes in God. Sometimes he doesn't. And we can see a lot of ourselves in that sometimes, you know? So he was this great military commander. Right. Yeah, yeah. He was this great military commander that was obsessed with conquest. So Jerusalem was not the only country that he invaded and took over. He was on, you know, the warpath. And we see in ancient texts that Babylon was one of the greatest empires, probably one of the empires before, I think, Rome, kind of as worldly empires goes. So God gave Babylon victory over Jerusalem because Jerusalem was starting to do this idol worship and, and fall away from God and not follow the commands that God had given them. So God said, I'm going to remove my protection in this big, bad empire is going to invade and take you guys over. So right. he, he literally handed Jerusalem over to Babylon. Which to say, <laughs> wait, wait, is you know, in, in in terms of how he had to submit due to whatever circumstances he was in, uh, with when you're warring, when you're warring with a true astronomical empire as Babylon or Rome or any of the examples, you can take Mongols for example. Um, mm-hmm. you're not gonna have a chance, right? At some points, at some point, that the logical side of your brain that has brought you to the point of being a leader is gonna tell you. Wow, you know what? This is a lot to go up against. So that yeah. very well could have been the most um, sane decision for him and his people. So that way mm-hmm. there wasn't a slaughter. Yeah. Yeah. So, and as we get into this, we see Daniel is starting to 
refuse and and push back against the culture that he's trying to be assimilated into. So he refuses to defile himself with the Babylonian food. We can take this as the food was either being sacrificed to false idols, or it was just some of the unclean animals that was talked about in Deuteronomy. So could have been stuff like camels and pigs that, you know, were either cloven hoofed or did not, or did chew the clud, I think was the, oh, the big the cloven one. Ho- so okay. they could, so it does have to yeah, do with they, that. they could be, so it could be that, or it could be just food and wine that sacrificed to idols. And definitely on the wine thing, I'm guessing that's more like that, where it's wine that was offered up to the false god Bell, I think is their God in Babylon at this time. So it would have been stuff in that way that Daniel seen as it was food given in this way and, and sacramented in this way that if he ate it, he would feel like he would be betraying God according to scripture. So he or, just looked yeah. at the eunuch and said, you know, um, I see what you want to do. Like, I understand why you want us to eat this, but I can't do that. So would it be all right if I eat this instead? And we see uh, the eunuch kind of there at the end being like, okay, I'm worried about my head. Like, don't, (laughs) don't do this to me. Like if you guys get sick, it's my head. Because again, these guys are, you know, the elite, they're leaders, they're royalty, they're, they're part of the family of, of, David sort of thing. So these are high value slaves. Like the eunuch does not want to be accused of neglecting these guys. So he's, he's very Very worried about his own. Yeah. Sake. And then we also see the name changes, which everyone knows Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego better. And I noticed that you gave it the, the old, the old pronunciation, which actually sounded really cool. So, uh, the, so Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah all have uh, El or Aya in their names, which El is ancient is Hebrew for God, and Aya is Hebrew for Yahweh. It's re- referring to this. So they all have names that refer to God. So these are God's people. They are they are following God, and they were named that way. So Daniel is God is my judge. Hananiah is Yahweh has acted graciously. Mishael is who is what God is, most likely. They're not quite sure on that one. Uh, Azariah is Yahweh has helped. So part of the reason they're getting a new name is because Babylon wants them to assume a Babylonian identity. And and this is a great way to, you know, your, your name's not what your traditional, you know, steeped in your belief name is. Now you're getting names like uh, Belshazzar, which literally means, you know, servant of Bel, like, and Shadrach, right. Meshach, and Abednego are sense. not, they're not preserved well. So there's a lot of question as to what they are. Like Abednego is most likely servant of Nego, which was one of the Babylonian gods at this time. So those names weren't preserved correctly. I don't know why. I don't know if it really matters. It's just, uh, I know well, I Shadrach, Meshach, affiliation, like <laughs> with a lot of the, if they're trying to, uh, create a totalitarian society uh-huh. and culture, 
then why would you want to be recognized for, um, you know, something that's been acquired or assessed <laughs> to the point, you know, like their mm-hmm. nation has been acquired. Yeah. So why, you know, to be changed over to the, I mean, for this is like kind of how I'd put it is the holier than thou mentality where the Babylonians are going to automatically think that they're better, right? Because yeah, yeah. they're bigger and stronger, and they're not going to respect them. So when they see their their own culture, when they see their own belief system, their own religion, they automatically think that everyone else is in the wrong, and mm-hmm. you know they're going to they're going to forcefully or you know <laughs> kind of stick their foot in the door and be like, hey, you know, you got to change this, and then yeah. apparently kidnap them to Babylonia, but. Yeah, right, right. And again, remember, Babylon is trying to make these guys into court officials, kind of like the guys who's in charge of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah right now, so that they can go out and rule over the Jews as a Jew appointed by Babylon. So Babylon's trying to keep control over the Jews. As we talked about last time, they're having issues with these prophets standing up and saying, hey, we're not going to be here long. Don't work hard. Like, get ready to go home, keep a bag packed. Like, you know, there's this kind of insurrection thing. So Babylon is trying to keep control over this. So if they have Jewish people with Babylonian names that were trained in the the royal Babylonian way or whatever, then they can have this like, see, your, your elite are accepting us. You should accept us, you know, sort of thing. Like they're they're trying to appease. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're trying to appease the Jews who are there as slaves because they're bringing them over by the truckload. Uh, you know, not literally, but they're bringing them in to be slaves. So, whoa, who brought the pickup? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> There's a truck in ancient times. No, just kidding. I'm using a uh, saying from today. So, anything you want to add to that section, or shall we continue on at eleven? I believe we should continue. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice of food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Why is that? Now, why is that? So, um, something we didn't talk about was who are these people with uh, the four that we're actually focusing on? This this group of people. It's much larger than these four who are are being turned into these, uh, you know, court officials for Babylon. Uh, Now, Babylon conquered a lot of different countries. So some people say, well, it could be other countries, people there. They could be also in the same situation where they're training up their royalty to try and, you know, make the other country they just invaded subservient. However, it is so focused on the holiness of not eating this food and what happens 
if they eat this food is another form of, you know, assimilating to Babylonian culture and gods that we believe most of the people that is talking to these other officials that were being trained up were Jews. So we see these four standing out amongst their brothers and, and sisters who are there to be trained and they're not eating the royal food and drink. Instead, they just asked for vegetables, which I guess Babylon wasn't interested in sacrificing vegetables to their God. I guess their gods were just uh, carnivores. So, and they were not interested in water whatsoever, I guess. So we see them just eating vegetables. Yeah. Vegetables and water. And they're, I mean, we see vegetarians today. They can look just as healthy as long as they're getting the right, you know, mixes of foods or healthier. they still need. Though, yeah. Yes. It, there is always, and that, they can look healthier. On, and, on malnutrition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially with um, <laughs> certain choices of diet. And in this yes. case, it was the better looking people who had the more devout diet. Um, yeah. Ended up standing out to the point, like you said, uh, yeah. to where that <laughs> they looked better. They can't yeah. stand out right now. The Jews can't look all that much better than us because they have to look exactly like how the rest of Babylonians do so that the Jews have yeah. an understanding that it's all going to be all right, but you can't uh-huh. attain your classic traditions because why? Because we decided that. Yeah, no, and it looks like Daniel's example of just eating fruits and or eating vegetables and drinking water the people who are over all these royal slaves also just said well let's just give them vegetables to eat and drink so that the best royal food can just go to the king you know it, it they they see that they can get away with cutting this corner so they do you know so all the people who were enjoying that and i'm guessing that these meats in in the royal food and drink was stuff that was high in salt and fat and the stuff that causes you not to be as healthy so i'm guessing that's that's what it is it's either prepared in a way that makes it more of a delicacy than something that's just nutritional so you know so my guess is that the royal food was like the best of the best. Like you're thinking like fine dining, but in quantities that you're trying to subsist on it. Like you're not supposed to eat fine dining every day. <laughs> like, and you're not supposed to have dessert every day either, you know? So like they're, they're eating in a way that's not healthy. And apparently the vegetables and water is just healthier. So this must mean that they have a, a good selection of vegetables. Again, Babylon's a large empire in the Middle East. They have a lot of farm ground, so I'm sure they had a lot of produce coming in. So, mm-hmm. thanks and to Jerusalem to is Daniel. Closer to a waterfront. I was just gonna, I was yeah. just gonna point that out. Geography wise, yeah. Jerusalem was much closer to a waterfront. So, if you think about it, uh-huh. uh, not just culturally or yeah. uh, by whatever crazy idea that someone had the idea that okay, you know what, a bunch of salt, which is going to make you thirsty every day, is great for yeah. your training. But yeah. um, you know, you find a lot of these naturally occurring minerals used for spices. Um, you, mm-hmm. Depending on if they're not feeding their uh, livestock vegetables as often or fruit as often as they should, uh, yeah. because their deity, uh, their beliefs of the deity, demand differently, then mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it's <laughs> it might reflect on how it looks. Yeah, my my guess is that uh, you know vegetables in most 
most cultures, especially ancient cultures, were seen as a a table crop that was for the the lower class. So you fed it to animals and the lowest caste of society. So because it was easier to make vegetables than to have meat for everyone. It's not like today where, you know, my job, I can feed hundreds of people just my work alone because I have the technology to make it so that I can feed several thousand head of cattle a day. So it's not like that. It it was very much most people were farmers back at this time and vegetables are some of the easiest things to grow. So I know some people, some people are screaming right now. Like I have no green thumb. I kill everything that I plant. I'm like, okay, well when everyone was a farmer, it was kind of just a skill that you absorbed as you grew up, you know, quantity over quality. Yes. Uh, preserving over instant gratification. Yes. No, it was just, it was, it was part of their culture. You picked up farming because almost everyone had to farm to survive. So, right. Uh, we talked about the false idols, uh, and then we, we mentioned a little bit. Uh, often we see as Christians, the way to rebel is not violent. So we see Daniel here respectfully requesting from the guard or, or the official, hey, I can't eat this food because I it will defile me because of the Deuteronomical laws that we talked about earlier. Hmm. And he, he's asking with reverence. He's not saying, Hey, I can't eat this. I refuse to eat this. He's saying, would you please let me just eat? He's saying, test us. You know, he's like, if, if I'm wrong, if we look like crap in 10 days, then fine, we'll eat your food. You know, like he's, he's not, he's not going to rebel defiantly. He's rebelling with, with, you know, decorum and and being kind about it and saying, Hey, test us. And if we're right, please let us continue eating vegetables and drinking water because you guys don't sacrifice that to your idols. He knows better. He knows better than that. And And, and it's a good example better than that too, where he's just like, you know what? This is not just a foreign concept. This is something that is literally going to cause me harm. Why would I want to do this? Yeah, no, and, and it's just another example of how, as Christians, if we have to resist something, that's how we resist something. It's not this, you know, defiant, I'm going to do it my way, and you're going to have to kill me otherwise. It is, I request that I do not have to do this, and, you know, let me show you what I'm trying to do. It's not... It's not this, you know, grab a gun and burn down the the capital sort of rebellion. It's oh, always that escalated quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we got it's, trucks. It's... We got <laughs> we got guns. We got hunting for some reason. Uh, I'm just trying to bring it back to today's life. You know, I'm I'm saying Daniel's a good example when we have to rebel against authority. Now, I guess there is a time when more drastic measures are called for, but we're never called to kill someone over resisting what makes us, because this he's resisting it over his worship to Yahweh. Like if he eats this food, he feels like he will be he's de- not denying to, Yahweh. Yeah. yeah. Right. He, he won't be being holy as he's called to do for his belief. So in the same way, 
we can not we can say that we're not going to do something that we feel like is is betraying god like we are beholden to god over anyone else and i mean you and me are are that you know christian anarcho sort of thing so we understand this well however god placed those those authorities over us so as long as they're not asking us to do anything that betrays god we're kind of beholden to doing what we're told to do to a point. But the minute they say something like uh, you can't be a Christian to do this, or, you know, your beliefs are hindering the way you work. You need to change. Like anytime that they want us to deny God, that's when we're allowed to make a stand. That's where we're allowed to put our foot down and say, no, I believe in my God. My God is more powerful than you. What you're asking me to do would deny my God. And I can't do that. And that's what Daniel's saying. You know, he's saying, I can't eat this food because that's denying my God. And he's giving an, an alternative to the, to the eunuch because, again, the Babylonians want these Jews to be assimilated. They want their, their cooperation. So they're, they're already, you know, thinking in a way, well, let's see what we can do to get them, to bring them into the fold so that they can help lead other Jews, you know? And be more cooperative while they're at it. Yeah, yeah. Well, anything else? We can continue on on 17 and finish this out. Well, why don't we go ahead and do that? Alrighty. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the other than all the magicians and enchanters than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So they believed in magicians and enchanters. I'm that, <laughs> that tripped me up. I was like, wait a minute, we're still reading the Bible, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Yes. So another thing in ancient cultures, and I think we've mentioned this before that, um, they believe very much in the spiritual realm and, and they have people who they can think can, you know, manipulate it. So we hear magicians and enchanters and uh, we'll get into it as we go into more of the, of Daniel, we'll get into the Chaldeans, which is a group of people who were considered uh, star seers. So we'll get into that in later chapters, but yes, mm. the, the cultures at these time are very spiritual. They're very much, you know, believe in the spiritual realm in a way that I can understand. Cause I very much believe in the spiritual realm, you know, and I still believe it's active today. I don't believe that science has disproven that there's nothing, nothing beyond just the physical. So, uh, we, we see a little bit of foreshadowing here because this is kind of this, this chapter is kind of an introduction to the rest of Daniel. We see a little bit of foreshadowing here about visions and dreams, which as we get into it, we'll talk about it more. Visions are kind of this, this way that God shows us things while we're still waking and dreams, prophetic dreams specifically are, are ways that God shows us things that are to happen when we're asleep. Uh, we know all about prophetic dreams and visions because we went over, uh, 
you know, revelation, which was a lot of visions and dreams. So mm-hmm. uh, that we'll is see. that in itself is foreshadowing or yeah, addition yeah. to a revelation. What's yes, yes. going on? <laughs> yeah, and and we're going we're going to see uh, we're going to connect those chapters where it's talking about revelation. Uh, there's several in here that connect directly to revelation. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar brings these guys, these these four, into service at least until King Cyrus of the. I want to say he's the Persians uh, or the Medo Persians. He's a he's a Median, I think. Uh, takes over Babylon from Nebuchadnezzar's. Uh, whoever takes over after Nebuchadnezzar again, we'll get into the like who who killed who to become king of what, as it's more relevant. So it's just saying here. Daniel was in service until the first year of King Cyrus, which then his status changes a little bit. And we'll go over that more in detail then. Uh, and this, this chapter kind of is the beginning of Daniel's political career in Babylon. So again, we'll go into more depth with that as it becomes more pertinent right here. We see that God has a plan. Now I believe this chapter was probably written after Daniel had already gone through this, so it's quite possible that chapter one was an older, or uh, much younger, I should say, not older, much younger uh, writing written chapter than some of the other chapters of Daniel. So very much this could just be Daniel giving a summary, an overview of what we're about to get into. So we'll see places where there's prophecy that's fulfilled within a chapter. We'll see places that there's prophecy that's fulfilled later on in different chapters. And then of course we get into the apocalyptic literature at the end of Daniel, where it's talking about the end times and we'll see how that all connects to revelation as we get into that. So I think today we just, there's, there's a good, there's a good little moral chunk here. You got anything else to add? Uh, you know what? It's just one thing I wanted to add to all of that is that um, when we when we often look at biblical figures and we look at um, or as, as you can even say like a figurehead of a certain chapter, a certain section, um, uh-huh. we it's there's a good reason that the Lord has put them into Scripture, right? So that we can be able yeah. to perceive them to the state, uh, the good guys, the bad guys, everything in between. Uh, it doesn't even always necessarily have to be just Daniel. It could be we could be talking uh-huh. about Nebuchadnezzar for the next chapter or two. You uh-huh. never know. I may or may not have read ahead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, either way, you know they're there for a reason for us to be able to learn from, and I think yeah. that is the most respectful way and the most accommodating way to yourself to be able to recognize that. And uh, I can't mm-hmm. stress that enough as we're going through these um, spontaneous sections as we just did the all that discourse and we were going over some of the disciples and apostles and mm-hmm. now we're going to previous to that yeah. Uh, yeah. in the timeline but you know it's mm-hmm. just all interesting I take a lot of inspiration from anyone I read about in the Bible yeah yeah and like what I say to the youth uh, whenever we're reading the Bible and we can see ourselves in characters in the Bible it helps us you know connect better with the wisdom that's trying to be given to us. Like that's the wonderful thing about the Bible is this, this wisdom on how to live, which is just 
so rich. It can apply even today, which seems so different than right. when this was all written. You know, like there's so that much wisdom is inherited here. too. I don't, I don't deny that. And yeah, according to like you were just saying, according to like how it's um, not just passed down through the generations, but how you can perceive mm-hmm. it. You know, an ancient text that has an isolated event or has only so much detail to it and be able to relate to it completely. That's something I look into too. Anyway, yeah, I am signing off. This is Mr. Hess out. All right. Thank you, buddy. So I think today's takeaway is that we need to stand with God, whatever we're doing, and we need to stand fully with God. So the only time we are allowed to be defiant when it comes to things going on in the world is when they ask us to deny our God in some way. That is when we are allowed to stand fast and say, no, I stand with my God. He stands with me and I am going to continue on this path that God has sent me down. So with that, I encourage everyone to go out there and find their, their path through God and follow it. That's what we've been doing. And then I've been blessed for it. So thank you for listening to the revelation on demand podcast. Please like share and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from please. If you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelation on demand at gmail.com. God bless and see you next time.